Chapter 9. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. So um, his own town here is Capernaum. Uh, he had by this time moved to Capernaum as his kind of headquarters. He had apostles who had homes there. I think that he moved his mother there. And basically all of his followers were there centered in Capernaum. Um, and some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Um, I wanted to do what I did in Bible class and Sunday morning of, about a year ago and show you through uh, uh, kind of a game called Minecraft how to cut through the roof of a building in Israel. But my son helped me, air quotes, update my Minecraft account. And now I can't use it. I can't get in. I don't know what if it's my password is wrong or what's wrong. or he, he comes to my computer and says, there, it's working. But then he must shut it down. Because I come and it's not up. It's not running. It's not working. And I don't know. if he's Maybe he's playing a game with me. I don't know. Is, can my, could my son be, um, what's it called? Gaslighting me? Probably. I, I wouldn't put it past him. Anyway, maybe. So I couldn't, I couldn't show you that way, but... Alrighty. But you know the story. Matthew again has condensed this. In Mark and Luke, we hear about the roof getting knocked through. But here in Matthew, we're not told that. So it's just guys bringing a paralytic lying on a mat. Um, most of Capernaum's sick people had been healed already in a, an earlier visit, including Peter's mother-in-law and so forth. Now this guy comes. Is it because his friends also needed healing and they went and got healed and then Jesus was gone by the time they got around to bringing this guy or this guy, maybe his friends weren't around, whatever. Now he needs healing and his friends bring him to Jesus. They just want to get him to Jesus. And Matthew does not mention their silent prayer. Matthew does not mention their good works. Matthew says Jesus saw their faith. Now, of course, their faith involves their Clearly, silent prayer. Lord, please heal our friend. And clearly, it's the good work of bringing their friend and going through what they went through. What I want to know is, why didn't the crowd get out of the way so they could bring him in to see Jesus? What kind of people are these? They had all been healed. And they, they, they just... Oh, isn't that interesting? There's a guy outside who needs Jesus. Well, I'm going to stand here and look at Jesus and see what he does. You know, couldn't you have, you know, gotten out of the way for a moment or whatever? But they're, they're, they get selfish about their, what, their, their faith? Is that possible? Sure, because we're sinful human beings. You see that sometimes in, um, uh, in, in people who teach false doctrine or embrace false doctrine. They run ahead in their false doctrine and then instead of trying to convince people, this is why I believe what I believe, what do they do? Invariably, they look back at everybody else and they say, you guys are just wrong. You have to believe this way. And there's no teaching. Because there is no teaching. They've, they've, they've arrived at false doctrine with, without a, a, a pattern of the, of the scripture's teachings. And they've run ahead. But once in a while, you even see it in Christians who have... 
I don't know, um, uh, learned something about faith. And now they've attached themselves to that, and which is kind of the definition of a heresy. And they've run ahead, and now they don't have time for people who don't know that yet. Um, are any of you following me, or do I have to give you a very clear example? Um, th this can happen with uh, forms of liturgy. It can happen with music. It can happen with, uh, oh, you know what? It happened uh, in a church I knew of 40 years ago with the color of the pastor's preaching gowns, which is a terrible controversy, isn't it? Well, our pastor has worn, worn black for the last hundred years. No, he hasn't, because your pastor is only 40. But, so he's worn a black gown for 20 years, but not for, not for 100. But, and why do pastors, why did Lutheran pastors in America wear black preaching gowns? Do you know? No. They had to be the same as everybody else because they couldn't buy anything else in America. They had worn white in Germany, but they came over to America and the only people they could buy from, buy a preaching gown from, were the Reformed Calvinists who had thrown out the idea of the white gown because they wanted to throw away everything Catholic and they went to the teaching gown, which is that black gown. That's, that's a professor's classroom gown. Is it true that Luther wore that gown? Yeah, when he was teaching classes, but not when he was in the pulpit, when he wore white. Um, and so for a long time, our pastors wore black in the pulpit because that's all you could buy, unless you're going to buy from the Catholics. And well, you know, so that's just off the table. So, um, so. But then around the... Late 60s, early 70s, there, uh, some individuals had done some historical research and it was discovered that, you know, we did used to wear white. And there was a reason for that because Sunday morning is supposed to be a celebration of what festival? Easter. Easter. So white, it's that, that's why the pastor wears white. Um, and could the pastors start to wear white? Well, I know of a congregation where they decided, yeah, our pastor could wear white, but he's going to wear the same design as the black gown. And they invented something that had never existed before. You see, that black gown is called the Geneva gown after Geneva, Switzerland, the home of Calvinist Reformed Christianity. They, they invented the white Geneva, which isn't even a thing. A, a black gown is a Geneva gown, but they thought if we color it white, then it's, a, it's okay. So my home pastor, oh, now I told you what church I'm talking about. Uh, my home pastor had a white Geneva gown that one person's family bought him um, uh, uh, so he would look different and have a white gown. But, uh, uh, but a challenge for many people who complained about it because, because one person learned one thing and didn't teach, didn't educate, so that we're all on the same page about it. You know, so that we all learn together. Have I gone too far afield with that? Let's come back to the text. So Jesus sees their faith, says to the paralytic, they do get him in by digging through the ceiling. Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. In fact, uh, Jesus says take heart in Greek. It's tekna, which means child. 
your sins are forgiven. Um, what did the Pharisees think of that? The Pharisees are there and the, they, they react badly. Um, for the godless, the gospel seems too sweet. How could anything so wonderful as the forgiveness of sins be obtained for free? Um, now, in the same way, for the godly, for those who believe in Christ, the law is too harsh because they're already convicted of their sins. And, and so those who try to preach and apply law and gospel who have no respect for who they're speaking to can do more harm than good um, if, if you don't understand the distinction between law and gospel. When there was a Lutheran preacher named Karl Ferdinand Wilhelm Walther, CFW Walther, who came uh, over to America with uh, Saxon migration when the German Lutherans were leaving Germany because the Kaiser wanted them all to act as if they were Methodists. So reformed, basically. And he made them change the communion liturgy. And he, since the Kaiser owned the churches, the state owned the churches, he thought he could tell the pastors what to do. He started throwing some of them in jail, locked some of them out of the churches, sent armies. They sent cannons against one church in particular. And the Lutherans got into boats and began to come and to leave. That's what happened. Walther, um, as he was beginning the, what, what became Concordia Seminary for the Missouri Synod, um, had small groups of students every year, and he began to see a need to teach them law and gospel. And he began to have extra lectures at night for his students in his study. He would bring them into the study, and in his office, he would, I, I'm sure, light up his pipe, you know, and I can almost smell the pipe smoke, can you? Just to get the feeling of the room. And would, would kind of lean back into his leather chair and he would lecture for a couple of hours, you know, 90 minutes, two hours on end on the distinction between law and gospel. And the students, because he was just talking, he's not using notes or anything, the students had learned the art of stenography, of, of shorthand. So you remember a steno pad um, turns on the top it has a, is it one line down the middle, I think? And I, the ones I remember as a kid always had pink lines or some light yellow lines maybe. And so they're, they're, they're writing in shorthand on the left side and later they'll translate that into English on the right side. That's how steno, I think, kind of works. But the students of Walther's were doing that as he's writing, as he's lecturing. They took on all of those things that he said and later on, translated that from their German into English. It's a textbook that we still use today. Walther's proper distinction between law and gospel took more than a year. Around 18, I think 83 into 1884, um, where he lectured and lectured and lectured and lectured on this. And uh, our circuit, which is the pastors of the eight churches in our area, meet the, the eight Wells churches meet together every month and that's one of the things that we read together it's not our first time through and we study the besides the the next sunday's gospel lesson which is usually what we do we also then read walther at the moment so luther said that a man who can correctly divide between law and gospel 
deserves to be called a true doctor of the church. Um, so, uh, Jesus, take heart, my son or child, your sins are forgiven. And at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Which would be easier to say and have a result that people could see? You're forgiven, or, hey, paralyzed guy, get up and walk. It's a lot easier to say you're forgiven than paralyzed guy, get up, because if he doesn't get up and walk, then you're a false teacher, you know. But Jesus wants to show that he can do both. So what does he do? Uh, uh, you know, actually, before we get there, weren't the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, on the right track, though, when they say he's blaspheming? Why were they kind of right or on the right track? They were saying he's saying he's God. Yeah, you're saying you're God. They got it. They got that. Um, by the way, how does Jesus in verse 4 prove that he is God? He knew, their, he knew what they were thinking. Yeah, there's a verse in 1 Kings 9 where Solomon says, Only you, Lord, know the thoughts of men. And then the apostles repeated in, in Acts chapter 1, Only God can read thoughts. And Jesus reads thoughts here. Um, but he, could not, he, he couldn't just say it. He had to do something about this man's sins. What does he do with this man's sins? He takes them himself. When he says your sins are forgiven, he doesn't just say they don't matter. God doesn't care. That goes back to the demons. You know, let's just treat this as neutral. But no, he doesn't do that. He says, he, if he says your sins are forgiven, he's saying I'm taking them on myself. I'm going to die for these sins too. So as far as my father is concerned, they will be wiped away, but in my blood. I think in a certain respect, it's easier for Jesus to say, get up and walk. Because to say, get up and walk, he doesn't have to die Right. Yeah. As, 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 whichever way you take it, as man or as God, it'd be easier to say, get up and walk. Yeah, he, so he does both. Yeah. And notice his perfect, his perfect application of law and gospel. To the man, what does he say? Your sins are forgiven. Nothing but gospel. Obviously the man knew he was sinful. He's terrified of his sins. His friends bring him. He sees the faith. And Jesus says your sins are forgiven. With the scribes, these, the, 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 these, these Pharisees, he says, why do you have evil in your hearts? He preaches the law to them. They needed to hear the law. But then Jesus does this, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Here's a grammatical point for you. What's the punctuation mark at the, at the end of that line? An ellipsis. Three dots. Um, an ellipsis can be followed by another period or by a comma or by an exclamation point or whatever, but the three dots by themselves are an ellipsis. By the way, I just want you to know that's also a Greek punctuation mark. They, they didn't have a lot of our punctuation marks, but they had the ellipsis. They had a dash. They did all kinds of things with a dash. Their period was a raised dot 
where the top dot is in a colon, that was their period. They had what looks like a semicolon dot with a comma under it, except it was not a semicolon, it was a, anybody know? Do you remember? Question mark. Yeah, yeah, I know. It was, that was their question mark um, and so forth. And, and, but this they had, the ellipsis, which means the speaker has broken off. There should be something else in this sentence. Since you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, what should be, what should be said next? Watch me do this, or I'm going to do that, or whatever, and it's not spoken. So there's a breaking of the grammar here. And so, um, and when we write it, we have to put an ellipsis, and they did it in Greek also. There's something missing here. And, and that's just how, it, we just use it to reflect how people talk. That's just what Jesus said. He broke off. And he said that a paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. The man got up and went home. Um, so the, the miracle happens. Therefore, if he can heal the paralytic, he can forgive sins. So the proof goes that way. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who have given such authority to men. You have about five or six minutes left. Can I take us into the call of Matthew? Would you mind? So as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Think about this. Jesus doesn't have the nicest guys who are his followers, does he? He's got uh, Simon the Zealot comes to mind. The guy with the, with the bandoliers and the pistols. I'm just kidding. He didn't have that. But he was, a, he was a political maniac. He was a terrorist, an extremist and violent politi political uh, member of a political sect. And he had uh, Judas, who would become known as a thief later on. And all those Galilean fishermen, they're not exactly middle class, right? They're kind of those smelly, rough and ready guys and so forth. And then we know a lot less even about people like Thomas and the other James and the other Judas. We just don't know a lot about them. And the last guy on the list is the worst of them all, Matthew the tax collector. What was so wrong about tax collectors? Well, you tell me. Licensed by whom? Rome. They had to buy their license. And then paid by whom? Trick question. Yeah, nobody paid them. How, where did they get their money? By increasing the taxes, yeah. By just overtaxing people. So it costs you 35 cents to come through here so, in, in reality, so please give me a dollar six. You know, that, that's how much money I get. And by the way, it's better than, than, uh, than Rex over there because he charges a dollar eight today. You know, so come through here. That's how they did it. And were they loved by, or did they love the people? Only as people who gave them money, you know. So I think they tried to get along. They were probably kind of smarmy, you know. How you doing today? Come through my booth, or whatever. But, and were they loved by the people? Not in the least. Um, Jesus walks up to one and says, follow me. And I'm sure that this wasn't the first time Matthew ever heard him, but oh, 
Are you serious? He leaves his stuff behind. He gets up and follows Jesus. Not only that, but he invites him home to dinner. And, uh, and who is going to have dinner with a tax collector? Oh. Other tax collectors. There's not much else. So uh, while they were there having dinner, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's Hosea 6.6. 6. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus wades in with people who are sinful, with prostitutes and tax collectors and, and the riffraff of society and those Galilean fishermen and stuff. Let me ask this one last question, though. What's the difference between having friends who are sinners and maybe heretics and prostitutes and whatever? And what's the difference between that and then having fellowship with their churches? Okay, one of, the reason, one of the things that fellowship gives us is it protects us from false doctrine. So, also? Right. Mm -hmm. You'd be throwing your pearls before a swine, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and in general, Jesus tells us to be careful with regard to false teachers and their churches. When people have joined that church, mark them and avoid them. But with regard to friends of yours who are not the teachers, but who might belong to that church or might be atheists or maybe they're Buddhists or who knows what they are. Can you be friends with them? Of course you can. Yeah, wade in with them and, and share things. That's, that, that's also what, what the Bible tells us. Always be prepared to give an answer for the faith that you have. So yeah, I have friends who are not of our faith, um, but they don't get to come to the Lord's Supper. I'm not going to talk to them about more advanced doctrines unless they know the basics first. Who is Jesus? What are the two big things that separate all religions? Who is Jesus Christ and how do we get to heaven? If, they don't even, if we can't agree on that, then am I going to start talking about the nuances of why we baptize by, by, uh, by uh, uh, dipping or by dripping as opposed to dunking? They're not ready for that, right? Let's talk about how we get to heaven. Then we can talk about the nuances of baptism or whether or not you can use grape juice at communion and if it's wrong to use Mountain Dew at communion in college. And Yes, it is wrong. Just, I know you're, you're, you're suddenly locked in, but yeah, it's wrong. I'm just, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> All right. Um, uh, uh, yeah, that's, I have another meeting um, after this, so that's our time. Um, thank you very much for coming tonight. We'll, meet, we'll pick it up again there then uh, next week. And thank you again uh, very much so. Thanks for letting me do this. God bless you all. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.